Today in part seven for your notes, I want to talk to you about growing. Growing. Now that's the best title that I could come up with for what I want to teach today. Because it's a very, very we're gonna it's a very unique um, teaching I'm gonna give you today. Very very different. And um, I'll, I'll warn you. The other night, my wife and I were having our, our bathtub time, like we do. I've told you about. And we just sit there for three hours till the water turns cold. And if you're trying to visualize it, we're in our bathing suits. And so we sit there and we're talking. And she said, what are you preaching on? I said, oh, oh, it's so exciting. I read this survey and the whole sermon's based on this survey. And I did it. And after about two minutes, she stopped me. She said, um, you know, if there's ever a time in our marriage where you're going to have my full attention, uh, it's when we're sitting in the bathtub together. And she said, um, after 30 seconds, you completely lost me and it sounds very boring. So I fired her and she's selling cars now on Sunday morning. She's not going to be able to be here anymore. Um, so that should tell you, you're really going to have to pay attention today. I guess it's going to take a lot of brain power. So growing, um, there was a survey that was done um, three times in the past 15 years. And the survey was given to um, about a thousand or more churches, um, hundreds of thousands of people who attend church in America. They attend church in America. Um, the people who attend church in America did this survey, and the point of the survey was to see how well the church is doing at making disciples of people and not just getting them saved, but making disciples. And so um, there was a hundred different statements they check if they agree or they disagree. And the survey, when it got done, it showed that everybody who attends church in America is in one of four categories, one of four stages, okay? And I, I gave it to you on your handout, but I also am going to put it on the whiteboard because I'm going to keep referencing it during the sermon. And stage number one shows that there are people who attend church who are exploring God. And you can write it on your handout, exploring God. The second stage of people are beginning in God. Um, the third stage of people, if you can write fast, are close to God. And stage four is uh, their life is God-centered. Now, the survey showed these four stages, and I'm going to give you other examples of the four stages. But it also showed us the three steps that we take to go from stage one to two, two to three, and three to four. And when I read the survey, I thought, oh, man, I can make these three steps start with the same letter. Right? I thought, oh, this is going to be a sermon and it's going to be great. And so um, the, the, the stage one could also be people who fellowship with, with believers. In other words, every now and then they, they see in church, they say hey to you. Uh, they have relationships in, with other believers. Um, they're being discipled. They're in discipleship. They're in a Bible study or somebody in this church is discipling you. You might not even know they are, but they call you to make sure you're in church. They make sure you know, you're getting into a, one of the groups, a good study. And then fourth is lordship. I did my best to come up with synonyms that um, end with the same letters to help you kind of remember it. First category, people who attend church um, uh, or seeking, attending or seeking. Second stop stage, they're joining the church and they're, and they're getting baptized. And we'll talk about that in a little bit too. Third stage, they're serving in church. And fourth stage, they're actually leading others or discipling other people in the church. Now, I want you to know, when you get to stage four, um, you have to keep growing. Because once you stop growing, there's a word that's not in the Bible, but Christians use the word, and it's called backsliding. You can, you can backslide, okay? It's not in the Bible, but, but American Christians do use that word. Um, first stage, they know about Jesus. They know about him. Second stage, they know him as Savior. Third stage, he's their best friend. And fourth stage, um, Jesus is their soulmate. They're married to him, and they'll lay down their life for him. Uh, first stage could be um, they, they, um, they rarely talk to Jesus. They rarely talk to God. Usually when they're in need. You see these people on Facebook, right? Please pray for my little boy and da-da-da. And you pray and then like they don't talk about God for the next three years until they need something else. Uh, second stage, they talk to God on Sundays or think about God on Sundays. Third stage, frequently. And fourth stage, daily and nightly like it talks about in Psalms 1 and in Joshua 1.8. 
They're meditating on the Word or they're thinking about God every morning, every single night. Now, there's also an entire group of people that did not take this survey who live in America, and we could call them far from God because they're, they're not even searching or seeking, okay? So we're not going to talk about them. We're talking about these four because the survey was done with these four. Um, I want you to, on your handout, I want you to put a cross in between stage one and two. Just write a cross there because that is really what separates stage one and two is really salvation is they gave their life to Jesus. Now, um, I also want to tell you real quick that when this survey was first done in 2004, there were about 50% of the people in church were in the third and fourth group, and the other 50% were in the first two groups. Now, as, as mega churches began growing in the body of Christ in America, and the TV churches and things like that, which I think are great, um, but a lot of those pastors are not pastors, they're actually evangelists. So they draw a big crowd, which is very cool, but all they do every week is try to get people from one to two, one to two, one to two. That's what an evangelist does, and we need evangelists. That's part of the fivefold ministry gift. Without evangelists, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. And in a pastor, they move people from group two to three to four. That's what a pastor does. When you're in a church where you're growing, that is an actual Bible-based church. But when you're in a church where every week is all about just going from stage one to stage two, it's exciting, but there's no growth in your life. You with me? So in 2004, it was 50-50. In 2011, when the survey was done again, it went down to 25% were on the stage three and four, and then 75% were on one and two. Then in 2018, right before COVID, it was on less than 10% were in stage three and four, and the other 90% were one and two. Do you know at Solid Rock, over 75% of you are in stage three and four? Over 75% of you that, that attend this church, we have about 500 and something people that come on a Sunday, and 75% of you are in stage three or in stage four. Okay, so before I get into my, uh, the parable in Mark 4, which I found has all four stages and all three steps, I actually found a scripture in the Bible that has my three points all in one scripture. And stuff like that I think is so cool. When that comes to my mind, it's cooler than the Super Bowl. So I need you to pretend like it's really, really cool, okay? I need you to pretend like Because my three points are grace, God's word, and giving. Don't write them in yet. No, 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 don't write them in yet. You wait till we get there, okay? But I want to show you a scripture that has all three points. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. There's grace. By the word of their testimony. There's God's word. And watch this. They did not love their lives to the death. There's giving. Now that's cool, isn't it? Yeah. Say that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Stuff like that really, really, really excites me. Okay, so in Mark 4 or Luke 8, wherever you want to read it, it says this. Jesus was teaching a parable. The sower sows seed, which is the word. And we know that the seed is the word because he said it in Mark 4 that it's the word. But then there's some other parabolic language in here that I'm going to talk to you and define uh, throughout the rest of the sermon, but just stay with me. When some hear the birds immediately take away the word that's sown in them, lest they should believe and be saved, Luke 8 says. Some seed fell on stony ground or a hard heart. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation arises, on account of the word, in other words, they came to church and, the, and they heard that the scripture said, you can't live the way you're living. You can't keep acting. You can't keep treating people like this. you got to get rid of that unforgiveness. When they hear that, it says they immediately fall away. Forget that. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. 
Others are the ones sown among thorns. I'll tell you what that means a little bit. They hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires to have the Mercedes over-honor God financially, the desire to have the bigger house over-putting their kids in a Christian school, the desire to have these other things that aren't as important. It says this, it chokes the word out and their life is unfruitful. But the seed that fell into good soil. Now, the soil is your heart in this parable. The ground is the heart. And produced grain growing up, there's the title of our sermon, are the ones who hear the word, accept it, they bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, this is a really good um, spiritual sermon. Well, you can have a spiritual passage, right? Every preacher in the world preaches this passage. But my thing is, why, why do we care to produce 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold? I know because the Bible says so. I know it's a good thing, blah, blah, blah. But well, why? why? When I leave this building, when I leave this building, what's going to convince me that I need to hear the rest of this sermon so that I can produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold? Here's what I want you to see. We believe for eternal life, but we grow in our belief for abundant life. We believe to get to heaven and be saved. Woo, we got to stage two. But we continue to grow in our belief and our faith so that on earth we can have heaven on earth and what God, we can have the abundant life. In other words, if you, want have, if you want to have the greatest marriage you could ever imagine, get to stage four. If you want to have children that, that grow up and become mighty upon the earth, like the Bible says, the seed of the righteous will, get to stage four. If you want to have all the money that you're supposed to have for your destiny, get to stage four. If you want to have peace in your mind and in your home, if you want to have, um, uh, uh, if you want to have God confidence instead of self-confidence, get to stage four. If you want to have children that obey and are obedient or are joy and pleasant to be around, get to stage four. If you want an abundant life on earth, you have to do what the Bible says and produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That's what that is. Now, here's the cool thing. You don't have to do the work. The Word does the work. You just got to get your heart right. We don't do the work. That's what's so cool. You don't get yourself here. The Word does it in you if your heart is right. Really cool. Now, this teaching is Jesus telling us about the heart because the ground's the heart. And he's saying this. There's an enemy that's trying to stop you with every single step from getting to stage four. Constant, there's an enemy in your child. There are demons. Listen, do you know that, 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 that all through the Bible, you know what the, the goal was to destroy God's people? Was to kill the children. Pharaoh, every Pharaoh, right? They wanted to kill the kids. If you study why the empire of Rome fell, because the Caesar, it was all about destroying children. Everything is destroyed whenever the children are the ones suffering, right? So if you want your children to grow up and be mighty enough, you got to get to stage four, man. So you can have the abundant, you don't want your kids to just go to say, just go to heaven and be saved. You want them to have an abundant life on earth. So there's three steps, right? If you're, if this is all people that attend church, there's three steps. One step, two steps. Step one is this, grace. Uh, grace. And I know I've already talked about this the past several weeks, but just to reiterate it, Ephesians 2, 8. By free grace, you're saved through faith. It was nothing you did. It was a gift from God. Jesus did not put a down payment on your salvation so that after you get saved, you can now spend the rest of your life paying it off. The old hymn says, he paid it all. He paid it all. And, 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 and I want you to think about like this. Um, the thief on the cross who did nothing good in his life but went to heaven needed the same amount of grace that Billy Graham needed the day he left this earth and went to heaven. Same amount. 
Yes, Billy Graham lived a good life and the thief on the cross lived a horrible life, but they both needed the exact same amount of grace to get to heaven. One of the 25 statements in the survey under this category said this, I believe nothing I do or have done can or will earn my salvation. If you believe that, say amen. Okay, when you get to stage four, the same grace that you needed to get to stage two is the same grace you need to stay in stage four. It's all about God. In fact, I think there's going to be people in heaven that you're going to be shocked that they made it to heaven. Shocked. Like the thief on the cross. How did he get to heaven after all the things he did? And then there's going to be some people that are not in heaven, and you're going to be shocked at that. Because you think, they were such a good person. They did something. Guess what? The good doesn't get you to heaven, and the bad doesn't get you to hell. You either receive the free gift or you don't. There's a poem. I love it. It says this. I was shocked, confused, bewildered. As I entered through heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all or the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Ralph, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. I said, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How would all these sinners get up here? Did God make a mistake? And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, my child, Jesus said. They're all in shock, for no one thought they'd be seeing you. <laughs> That's probably what we're going to say about me when I get up there. Okay, so you see in the parable in Mark 4, I left it on your hand. Now, you see the word stony? You see the word stony in there? Hard heart? Remember that word, okay? Here's the greatest scripture on grace and salvation that's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 25. I, God says, will make you clean from everything that is defiled you. Watch this. I, God says, will give you a new mind and a new heart. If you don't have a new mind and a new heart, you're not saved. If you're still thinking the way you always did, unless that's Jesus, tell him you'll call him back later on, please. Um, new heart in mind. I will remove the heart, there's the word, of stone. I just want you to know, it's not your job to get your heart soft from that, from that hard heart. It is the grace that wants to change you that does it. It's all God. It's not you. It is all God. Watch this. I will put my spirit in you, and I'll see to it that you follow my... Since you've been saved, have you, have you ever felt God spank you? Since you've been saved, what were, you, what were you doing, boy? You better get back in line. God says, I, I'm doing all this for you. And then he says this, and then you'll be my people and I'll be your God. Here's what he's saying. I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to let grace change you. I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to let grace, let the word of God change you. Let God, God wants to do the work. If, you know, we behave based on what we believe. So if you're working on some bad behavior in your life or a behavior in your child's life, stop trying to fix the behavior and start getting in the Word of God and get it in you. Say it in Spanish, Portuguese, backwards, forwards, memorize it. Say it before you go to bed. Read it when you wake up. Whatever you do. Because once you get it in you, the Word of God is the thing that changes you. And once you really believe it in your spirit from hearing it over and over and over, once you believe it, you'll behave in that direction. All of us in this room behave based on what we believe. What we really believe is best. What we really believe will make us happy. What we really believe will fulfill us. That's what we do. So your problem isn't behavior. Your problem is you're not believing the right things. 
You good? Okay. So Jesus does, God does all this work. There are two things for your notes that happened in every single New Testament believer's life once they got saved. In other words, these are two things that grace did to them. These are two desires grace gave them. These are two things that God put inside of their heart and their will right after they got saved. The first one was this, to be water baptized. Every single New Testament believer in the entire New Testament who got saved, other than the thief on the cross, was water baptized. And I promise you, if he could have got down off that cross, that's the first thing he would have done. A water baptism is very similar to a wedding band. If you're a man in this room and you do not wear your wedding band, dude, get a tattoo and put it on there or get a permanent marker every day when you wake up and put it on there. Get a, I don't care if you don't like rings, figure out a way because this lets the whole world know, you know what, my heart doesn't belong to me. It belongs to somebody else. I, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life for this person right here. You may not know this person, but I know this person. I know this person. And I'm letting everybody know I'm forsaking every human being on planet Earth to be faithful to her as long as we both shall live. Now, this wedding man does not marry us but it lets the whole world know I'm taken, okay? Water baptism does not save you, but it lets the whole world know I'm taken. I'm taken. My heart doesn't. My heart used to belong to me, but I gave it away. I gave it away to a guy who gave his entire life for me. I gave him my heart. He gave me his life, and I gave him my heart. So you know what? I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to somebody else. That's water baptism, and every person in the New Testament had that desire. Here's the second thing. They had the desire to join a church. Not just attend a church. Do you know that most of the New Testament was written to people who were members of churches, not attendees, members? So if you have that desire, it's because grace put it inside of you. Because how are you going to change without being part of a church and having the relationships and discipleship and learning how to lead? And, and how are you going to grow without being? This is the whole purpose of the church is to help us grow. Two things, uh, water baptism and, um, and joining a church. And listen, I realize that churches have a lot of problems. I do. And I realize that a lot of you have been hurt in your past church. So I understand. There's people there with problems. There's sinners. Okay, as long as I am pastor of this church, I give you my word, there will always be problem people here. I promise you. I'll make sure of it. There will always be sinners in this room. As long as I'm pastor of this church, there will always be one person in here with a whole lot of problems who needs Jesus, okay? There's always going to be churches with problems. It's because you're here and I'm here. That's why the church has problems, okay? Okay, point number two is this. Step two is this, God's word. The way people got in this, in this whole big survey and all the things they put out, the thing that they noticed that got people from stage two to stage three was this, believing, understanding, reading, and loving the word of God. Psalms 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. The people that, 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 that agreed to this were people who said, if I want to figure out how to handle my finances, I go to this. If I want to figure out how to handle my, my children, I go to this. If I want to figure out how to deal with the pain in my heart, I go to this. If I want to figure out how to handle my business or my work or my money or my enemies or my mind or my thoughts or the things I look at, I know to go to this. They saw this as the final authority in their life. One of the 25 statements said this, I believe God's word is the final authority for my life and not just a good book. Not just a good book. And, and the people that, that, that filled this out, they were people who read it, they understood it, they believed it. Over and over, this was their life. They, they could not wait to get in this. Now, there are three, one of three reasons why you may not enjoy and love and understand the Bible, okay? And don't be offended by this. It might not be the first reason. It might be one of the other two. But there are one of three reasons 
why you may not understand the Bible, okay? The first reason is this for your notes. It's um, that maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not saved. And not to be rude to you, but 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this. We have received the Holy Spirit. Here's why. So we can understand the teachings given to us by God. But the unbelieving man doesn't accept the teachings of the Spirit of God and is incapable, doesn't, can't even possibly understand them. If the Bible was written by a spirit, two spirits, if you don't have that spirit in you, how are you going to understand it? You ever met somebody that really just loves the Bible and understands it? Listen, it's because they're saved. The Holy Spirit reveals it to them. It's like having a cell phone, but your cell phone's turned off. And I'm trying to call you and I'm trying to communicate to you. The problem is not that you don't have a cell phone. You got one. The problem is the cell phone is turned off. The Bible says before you're saved, your spirit is dead. And once you give your life to Christ, it says um, the Holy Spirit quickens your mortal bodies. Okay? You might have a spirit. It just might be dead. If you would just turn that spirit on, you'll be able to hear from the spirit through the spirit of the book. Are, are you with me? Um, one of the other reasons why you may not understand the Bible or, or like it or enjoy it, it could be that you're saved, you're just lazy. Um, it could be that you're lazy. Because understanding the Bible, I thought about this, it is just as easy to understand the Bible as it is to understand a woman. I didn't say women, I said a woman, right? There is one woman on this planet Earth who I can understand better than any other woman on Earth. Who is that woman? Gal Gadot. That's right. I'm just kidding. It's not Wonder Woman. My wife is Wonder Woman. Okay, it's my wife. Here's why. I put effort into it. I put effort into it. And, and the longer we're together and the more effort I put in, the better I can understand her and the better we communicate to each other. You know, I mean, you know the other day she'd say, how was your day? And I said, it was good. I had lunch with so-and-so. It went well. And um, I didn't know it was going to go well, but it did. She said, oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. And I said, well, how was your day? She said, well, I woke up this morning and I had a headache, but I got my coffee and it made me feel better. And after that, the neighbors wanted to come over and work out. And we worked out a little bit, but then her daughter started crying and we couldn't. And then it started back and it was really good. Then my sister wanted to go on a walk with me on the beach. We went on a walk. After that, we went to lunch at this new vegan restaurant. The vegan food was really, really good. After that, I decided to come home and work on the youth program. So I did this. The boys drank all the milk, so I had to go to the store and get the milk. And now I have dinner ready for later on. And I said, okay. And then she'll say, what do you think? And I'll say, I'm glad the vegan restaurant was good. She'll say, yeah, it was good. We had a good time. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, a few years ago, I would have said, you woke up with a headache? She would say, you weren't listening to anything I was saying, were you? Because I know her now. And I put an effort to know her. And I enjoy knowing her. And the more we talk and the more we communicate, the more we understand each other. You with me? Okay, so listen. Um, Jesus spoke in parables. We know that. Parabolic language. Where did he learn how to do that from? He said that I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it. Do you know all through the Old Testament is parabolic language? The whole Old Testament. Filled, filled with it. Uh, Psalm 78, 2, God said this. I'll open my mouth in a parable. So in Mark 4, and on your handout or in your Bible, wherever you're looking at you see the word birds in there? D does that mean, listen, if your heart is hard... Um, a parakeet's going to come by and start pecking on your heart or take your Bible away, you know, and just pull you and run and fly away. Is that what birds means? Revelation 18.2 says this, Babylon has become a place for demons and a prison for every unclean bird. Now, either Babylon was a place that had demons and there were some ostrich and toucan and chickens that were really getting in the way, or that's a certain type of demon we're talking about. What about in your Bible where it talked about um, thorns in Mark 4? You see thorns in your Bible, Luke 8 and Mark 4, in the pair of thorns. 
Does that mean that, you know, God's trying to get the word to produce in your life, but you had a rose earlier and there was a thorn on the rose, and because you hurt yourself on that thorn, now you can't understand the Bible? Is that what it means? Or does thorns mean something else? Uh, Numbers 33, 55, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the promised land, then those who you let remain shall be as briars in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall trouble you where you dwell, where you live. Could it, be, could it be that he's saying this? If you don't drive out those enemies that are in your life, the demons of those enemies are going to destroy your house and where you live. Could that be it? We good? Um, you know, Israel had physical enemies, but they also had spiritual enemies. And if you don't drive out the bitterness that's in your home, if you don't drive out the unforgiveness that's in your heart, if you don't drive out the things that are in your house that are not bringing joy to your life, those demons are going to corrupt your family, your children, and everywhere in, in the place you dwell. Let me show you another one, Judges 2, 3. But you have not obeyed my word. I will not drive them out before you, uh, but they shall become thorns, and their gods will snare you. Uh, let's go to another one, Ezekiel 2, 3. I send you to nations who have rebelled against me. Do not be afraid of them, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, you're going to speak my word to them. Now, either God is saying this, listen, uh, I'm sending you to these people who don't know me, and they're rebelling, um, but you need to be careful because there's rose bushes and there's thorns on the bushes, and if you see a scorpion in church, don't sit on it, look before you sit down. Is that what he's saying? Or does this mean something, is this parabolic language? He's saying this, if you go around people that got demons, don't worry. You have my word inside of you. You just speak my word, it'll drive the demons out. And listen, even when Paul, remember Paul had the thorn, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, he had a thorn in his flesh, and even tells us it was a messenger of Satan to harass him. Now, I don't know how it manifested itself, but it started from Satan. Here's the question I want to ask you. Why does, why does um, thorns represent demons in Mark Numbers, Judges, Ezekiel, and Corinthians. Why is that? Because the same person authored the entire book. The Bible always explains itself. You don't need me to explain the Bible to you. That You don't need that. The, if you're going to get to stage three or stage four, you have to learn how to fish for yourself. Don't find a church where you're throwing a fish on Sunday, it tastes good, it feels good, and you forget about it the rest of the week. Find a church that teaches you how to fish. Your relationship with God can't be through me. Your relationship with understanding the Bible can't be through me. you got to do it on your own. Okay, so it says, it says that Satan can take the word away from you. We see that in the parable in Mark 4. Now, a lot of Christians don't believe that's true, but Jesus literally just said, Satan can take the word away from you. So what can we do uh, to get the word in us where Satan just can't take it? Psalms 119.1 says this, Your word I've hidden in my heart. That, I mean, I said, that word hidden means memorized. Your word, listen, if the government comes and takes away our Bibles, that's okay. I got it in my heart. If my cell phone can't turn on or I'm on a plane or somewhere where I can't get that app, it's okay. I got the word in my heart. You know, when we were at MUSC with Asher, I've told you the story a hundred times, but they told me that my little boy was going to die. And they gave us the worst news ever. We're watching him die. And this was years ago. I didn't have internet on my phone or anything like that, no apps. And when we got in the ambulance to go from Myrtle Beach to Charleston, um, I didn't think about, oh, I need my Bible. That's the last thing I was thinking about. I just want my child to live. But when we got in there, and I'll show you pictures of what I did, all of a sudden, just like that, God began to, to quicken scriptures to me that were hidden inside of my heart. Now, I didn't remember the reference to it, which is okay, because God, they didn't put the reference to the Bible to hundreds of years later. I remembered the, I remembered the word. 
And every scripture I could think of, every truth in the word that had to do with healing or miracle or, or growing up or anything like that, I put Asher's name in it and I put it all over the wall of our, of our hospital room. And my child lived, not because of me, he lived because of the word that was hidden in my heart. Because where the word is, there's life. If you don't have it hidden in your heart, how is what did say, the birds of the air are just going to come and take it from you? You leave church on a Sunday and you won't remember anything. Because your, your, your heart is hard. The, bird, the birds of the air just pull it out. Okay, so how do, we, how do we move from group three to group four? And step three is this, giving. Giving. You know, the whole parable is about your heart. And it's saying you can have a hard heart and the demons will take this. And you can have a heart for deceitfulness and riches and the demons will take that. And all these things in your heart. The point of the parable is to show us the word does all the work if your heart is just right. And you know what really ticks me off is when people say things like, oh, they have such a good heart. You know what? The Bible says where your money is is where your heart is. So I cannot stand it when somebody says, oh, they have such a good heart. And I'm thinking, that's the stingiest person I ever met in my life. They don't have a good heart. Matthew 6, 21 says where your treasure, your riches, and your wealth is, that's where your heart is. If you want to know where your heart is, just look at your bank statement. Everything you spend money on, that is where your heart is. And I, I highly encourage you, cancel cable, stop going to Starbucks, get a cheaper car, do whatever it takes for your heart to be in the kingdom of God and for your children to be in a private school, a Christian school. Is your heart in your children or is your heart in your big home? Is your heart in the future of your family or is your heart in these other things that you like to purchase, that you like to buy? In Mark 4, it talked about how the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for these other things. You know what other things are? Things that don't have to do with the kingdom. Uh, the statements made on these 25 uh, were this. If, if asked by Jesus to give away everything that I have, I would gladly do so. Let me ask you, if Jesus parted the heavens today and said with a booming voice, give everything you have away and I'll take care of you, would you do it, yes or no? Okay, then don't argue about 10%. <laughs> I can tell you how many people, I've given everything to God. I don't know why this is happening to me. Actually, your heart's bad. You're not giving any money, buddy. Your tre where, your, where your treasure is, that's where. And you ever seen somebody that they really love the word? I mean, they get in the word. They understand it. You're like, man, how do they get that? Here's why. Their heart's good. The word's going to produce the 30, 60, 100. Just get your heart right, man. Just get your heart right now. I'm going to tell you something. I'm closing with this, okay? I may have tricked you today. I made a little pastoral trick. Okay, don't be mad at me. I may have made you to think, because my three points are actually steps, right? I may have insinuated that this is a chronology of the heart. I may have insinuated that Mark 4 or Luke 8 is a chronology of the heart. In other words, you go from here to here, here to here, here to here. This is not a chronology of the heart. This is a story on the condition of a heart. In other words, every one of you in this room, you started in stage four. Do you know the day you got saved in that moment where you all of a sudden realized, oh, you gave your, you gave your life for me, my, my family, we could all live in heaven with you and everything I've done is forgiven and you died for And then that moment when you realized, oh, I need Jesus I can't believe, I, I just can't believe, this is amazing. In that moment, if he said, give everything away, you'd say, yes, I'll do it. If he said, I want you to fly to India and be, yes, I'll do it. 
If he said, give me your children, send them on a mission trip to the most difficult part of the world, yes, I trust you, I'll do anything. In that moment, you started in stage four. But you know what happened? It tells us in Mark 4 what happened. Tribulation arose. You got offended at somebody. Your heart started getting stony and hard. You let the wrong things in. You stopped growing. You stopped giving. The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, and you started here, and now you keep going back week after week after week. And the, the, and the more you allow your heart to get hard, the harder the ground, the easier it is for the birds of the air, for the demons, just steal the word. And you leave church on Sunday and listen, and there's no change in your life. You heard the word preached, you understood it, you liked it for a few minutes, but then you leave and you're the same person you were last week, the week before, the week before, and the week before. Here's why. Your heart's not right. So if you, and biblically, if wherever your treasure is, your heart is, if your treasure's in the kingdom, I don't care what addictions you have, I don't care what problems you have, your heart always follows your money. It always follows your money. So when your heart's right, listen, you can be having the worst week of your life, problem after problem, when your heart's right and you hear the word, guess what? You're going to produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. You'll hear the word. You'll accept it. You'll believe it, Mark 4. You'll accept it. You'll believe it. You'll produce fruit. And everything in your life will change if you just get your heart right. Um, the entire theme of the Bible is giving. That's the theme of the Bible. And I told you the, the third, I don't know if I said it or not, but the third reason that prevents you from understanding or enjoying the Bible is that your heart's not right. You might be saved. You might have a lot of effort put into it, but your heart just may not be right. But the whole theme of the Bible is giving, and so he gave his life, and so we give what we have to him. So I wanted to read one of my favorite, it's, it's not a poem, it's, it's actually verses uh, to a song uh, written by um, Annie Johnson Flint. She was an orphan who was blind. She spent most of her life with arthritis and battled cancer for many years until she died. But she wrote this, blind, orphan, constantly in pain. She said this, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he adds his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day's only half done, when we reach the end of all of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that your need will exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. So lean hard on the arm, everlasting, availing the Father, both you and your load will upbear. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and 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 he giveth again. And because he just keeps on giving to us, we love to give to him. It's our heart. Listen, when you leave this place today, I want everybody to leave in stage four. I want everybody to leave here with a God-centered life. He is the Lord. Lord. Remember the day you got saved, Romans 10, 9? Jesus is the Lord. The Lord. I want you to leave here with the thought, I want to lead somebody to Jesus. Leave here. He's my soulmate. I, 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 I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized in the Spirit. I want everything he has for me. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. It's all I care about. Day and night. Man, you know what I just realized? 
is that when your kids go to our school, they're going to live in stage four. We're going to train them every day for stage four. <laughs> Imagine what you could accomplish if as a child you started in stage four. Where would you be at now? How would your decisions have been different? Okay, let's go to the Lord.